Thanks, as always, for listening. In this episode of Fluff and Crunch, which is aimed primarily, but not only at GMs, we're going to address the topic of players who are resistant to trying new games and systems and settings. We're going to discuss what we see as some of the baseline reasons, and we're going to talk about some ideas as to how to try to get people out of that and try those shiny new things that you just spent money on. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Good morning, Chris. Morning. How are you? Hello. Hello. How are you today? <laughs> uh, how's your week been, and have you done any gaming since last we spoke? Uh, no, I haven't. We did, we did meet up, but I think we were kind of this, because we were in this awkward bit of what had happened at the end of the last session of Conan. And then when I kind of said to the guys, are we carrying on? And everyone had been a bit like, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> so, uh, so we didn't. We ended up just chatting and playing a board game. And so I don't know what to, so yeah, kind of took a break. So wait, you don't, you don't know if you're, your Conan Exiles is going to continue? Well, we kind of had a point where sort of two of the characters died, but, you know, they died in a way that they're not, you know, they didn't die, die. They got sucked through a portal. So they weren't, you know, they weren't killed in session sort of thing. So they were story killed, which means that they could, we could carry on. But when I'd said to the guys, are we carrying on? They kind of were like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know. And it's like, it's not. What you so. should tell them is that now question, you only have, you have two players. Yes. And you had two characters. We had three characters because I was running the characters. Man, we were mostly running it cooperatively. Oh, oh that's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know what you could do? You could have their character sucked through a portal and forget about your, the character that you were, you were running. Forget about that. Um, you just force them. You dump them in, um, I don't know, infinity. Yeah, I, I think because like I think it was my character and Brian's character had gone through the portal, but I had ideas of like how I would keep Brian's character alive, but also still in in universe for League of Legends and just let go and then go from sort of the co-op game we've been doing into a more standard. I'll be running it and they'll be playing it. So now we've gone through the initial because just because the way Exiles was, it running it yeah. cooperatively kind of worked quite well because we you know it was a, it was a hex crawl and we were finding resources and. That kind of bit's like done, you know, their, their accountant is set up and it's ready to go and there's people in it. And so that kind of like, you know, we're now kind of the next step where now it's like, right, you know, they can go on adventures now kind of thing as opposed to just trying to survive. The survival bit is done. They are now self-sufficient. They have an encampment. You know, other people are going to come there. They're, they're basically onto a... But you suck them a through a portal. Well, only one of them. So oh. I think uh, what you should do is you should have this be... Now they have to go to work because actually what they were doing is they were playing an immersive uh, virtual reality <laughs> MMO type thing in infinity. And now they, they have to go to work like, OK, we unplug. Now I got to go do whatever I do in this weird economy. Yeah, so, so I'll probably be asking them because I don't think, we'll, well, we're meeting this week. We go to Elka Horror Maze things. It's Halloween um, for Brian's birthday. So we won't be I don't think we'll be playing a game this week. So I think I've got some time. I'll be asking them next few days like right are we going to carry on and play carry on playing carry on or are we going to play infinity or are we going to play something else we've basically said that like next year will be mostly D, &D because between 
a new series of Legend of Oak Machina and the D&D film. There's just enough stuff happening in the first few months of next year that sort of between January, February, March, we'll be wanting to play D&D. Uh, although I've got an idea in my head of how we would do that with a small party with three players, all of whom wouldn't mind DMing for a bigger thing, but I'll save that for a future episode. Cool. A- anyway, enough about me. How about you? Did you get any gaming done? Yeah, we had our, our uh, we started a new episode in our Star Trek Adventures original series era um, series using the language that Modiphius uses to describe these things. It's not an adventure. It's not a campaign. It's an episode in a series. And um, I took inspiration. I'm taking inspiration for this episode from an original series era novel that was printed in like, I don't know, the early 90s that I picked up, used. You know, Star Trek Adventures has this great supporting cast, supporting character mechanic. Yeah. And I got to thinking in this this book that I read, the story was actually split in two. There were actually two stories that went on simultaneously because there was this issue of a, a, an ambassador who needed to be transported to some planet to negotiate some kind of treaty between two potentially warring factions. And then there was something else going on on another planet. And so the story split in two and had different characters in different, like Spock was on the planet with the doing the, the stuff and then Kirk and the, uh, the ambassador were on the other world and the Klingons were involved and all this gobbledygook. And by the time this episode airs, this episode will be over with. So it, I'm not, I'm not ruining it for my players, but I thought, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. Supporting characters. I could easily do this. And so I, I queued it up to be like that. And, and my, my, the player who's playing the captain caught onto it and immediately thought, ah, we can solve this problem where we need to be in two places at once by taking the doctor and some medical staff and putting them in a shuttle and letting them go to the, you know, dropping them off at the planet, and then we go on to the other planet. And so we have enough supporting characters that they made that we're going to scene by scene alternate between these two different, these two com- completely different, but taking place at the same time um, stories. I just thought that that'd be a neat thing to try out. And so yeah. we went through the first, and they separated, and the one is... The, the ship arrived at the planet where the diplomatic situation is happening. They're just about to get things going, and the medical staff is on the um, it's on the planet. And the nice thing is that there are my players' primary characters are involved in both. That is, there's at least one primary character right. in both, and then I have a at least one player who's using a supporting character in both. So it. it it, I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to how it'll work out and how that'll help flesh out more supporting characters for the uh, for the crew. I thought that should be that should be pretty cool. So yeah, yeah I, I, really, I really like that about Star Trek. I think it, it makes it it's something I'd put into or similar things to that into other games. Um, just happens to work really well in Star Trek. But there's other yeah. games you could do similar things with. Just Star Trek works better because you've got this. You happen to you know. Your, your ship is moving from planet to planet doing a bunch of adventures and it happens to have, you know, a couple of hundred people on it. So there's yep. always more cast. Yep. Um, so There's always more people yeah, on the away team or the landing party, whatever you yeah, want to call exactly. it. So, so, so in speaking cool. about other games, which is in a way that our, our topic for today, we're going to talk about the trouble there is in getting people to choose to play different games and maybe some advice as to how to convince them to play other games. Yep. Because we've we've mentioned this. We've talked about this a little bit. But we've not we've not spent time really looking at it. So, 
Let's talk about the, 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 those problems first, and then we'll maybe we'll try to offer some solutions. What what problems have you run into, or what challenges have you run into, and what do you think their root is in getting people? And I know that you're in a you and I both right now are in favorable and we're in happy circumstances regarding our our groups for the most part. I yeah, think. I said like so for my I, main group, obviously I've been playing with the same two guys for like since we Ever. were kids and it's mostly a case of you know i'm because i'm the gm and i'm the one that buys all the games if i say hey look guys i've got this new game i want to play at they no say, point okay. do they ever go oh no that sounds crap they will li- <laughs> they will literally try anything uh and then some you know it's the going back sometimes it'd be different but if we all kind of didn't like something we wouldn't we wouldn't go back to it so that's yeah. not that's not so much been an issue um, it'd more be when I'm tried it with, like if I was trying something with Mika and Annie, or I've got an example of some other people. But yeah, I was just as a general thing, I was because I was, I was thinking about this last night, right? Where's the main issue? And I, I could see it as kind of there's two main issues in some of those consultative eyes. One is that, I, again, it's come back to our standard thing. One would be setting and one would be system. There will be times when people, you suggest a, you suggest a game, I want to play, I want to play Star Wars, hypothetically. And people go, oh, I don't like Star Wars. Now that would be a right. setting problem. People straight away don't want to play that. Um, and then straight away, that's a problem. Um, and we'll come back to the solution a bit. So this is one I can think I've kind of faced where there's a, there's a couple that me and me could go over and, and we play board games with them. And a couple of times I have suggested, well, why don't we play D&D? You know, we, we like playing cooperative games. Um, we played through sort of Pandemic Legacy, three separate seasons of Pandemic Legacy. So these are like, and each of those took like, you know, six, seven sessions to get through, not so well, you know, evenings to get through the whole game. You know, that's like, I've played Pandemic Legacy more than I've played any role-playing game in the last sort of 20 years um various versions of it anyway and i've occasionally said oh, why don't we play D?" and i think part of the prompt is oh yeah partly you know then we'll play role-playing games but a huge chunk of this is that um the the, the and the other couple um doesn't like fantasy at all she has zero interest in fantasy so even before you get to how to explain you know how role-playing works blah 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 she has no interest in fantasy she doesn't like lord of the rings she you know she doesn't like that kind of thing so then that that's a big problem. Um, and then the second one, which I think is the easier problem to overcome is, is the set is the system one. And obviously that's the one that I, I don't have this problem, but this is the one you see a lot of the time. I see this a lot of time online when people are like, I really want to play something else other than, you know, whichever version of D and D is popular at the moment. So five E now, but my players only want to play five E. Um, I mean, like I've never seen this myself. When I, the only time I've had lots of people playing role-playing games was at uni. And then it was like, there was a group of people being playing D&D and everybody else looked down on them because they were like, oh, you, those, those are the D&D weirdos that only play D&D. Everybody else was playing, you know, World of Darkness and Star Wars and a whole bunch of, you know, every other role-playing game under the sun. Um, but there was a group of people that only played, well, I guess it was second edition at the time. That's an interesting change. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to that. I, I think that, yeah, you, 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 you hit two good things. You've got, and, and I'll, I'll add two pieces i'll add one one to each um when it comes to you say setting i'll i'll wrap into that genre as well yeah because you could say you know i've i've met people who really love to play D. they only want to play in forgotten realms they're like oh eberron that's like steampunk that's stupid whatever I'm like, okay okay whatever that, that's nice you, you can go Ugh. you eat your hot dogs i'll go have something else that's fine so but you've also got genre. Like I, I know um, a guy that I used to play with for years is just he just really doesn't like science fiction, and he he he's okay from time to time. He was okay from time to time with like modern horror. He would he would play uh, vampire, 
Yeah. But he he did not he just didn't like science fiction at all. Like whether it was cyberpunk or space opera or it, science fiction just did not and he he agreed to begrudgingly on a few occasions, but you could tell he just wasn't enjoying himself. So setting and genre, yeah, both those are 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 big issues. And I think I can't imagine not liking well, maybe fancy, but not liking a whole genre. If you like sci-fi is so if someone says to me like, you know, we want to play Star Trek, well, I don't like Star Trek. Okay, I get you. Fair enough. Right, there are different kinds of <laughs> because, sci- I mean, know, and it wasn't that he doesn't like it, science but... fiction as a genre in general. He just doesn't want to. He play doesn't it. want to play in it. The system piece, you know, you mentioned, you know, back in the nineties. It's interesting. I find that you know that that's when D and D was waning. You know, second edition yeah. was was like on was running on fumes. It felt like, especially by the mid nineties, and so many other great games had come out yeah. and were really eclipsing it. That um, it is kind of funny that now, like D and D is, it's not just the elephant in the room. It's the herd of elephants on the savanna, and everything else has been driven away. It seems. Oh, man. But um, I mean, it was at the end of that sort of halfway through third. Like you said, two two E had just oversaturated yeah. the market, and then they got bought by Wizards of the Coast, who released third edition. Yeah, that changed a bunch. Um, but it's and really then third edition now. went crazy, crazy big in a role playing. Got the difference now, like you said, is that fifth edition is now borderline mainstream. Yeah, and we have this problem now that when people talk about people don't talk about oh, I'm going to play role playing. People talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think almost arguably role-playing games is like a subsystem of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. not the other way around. You know, but, but about the, the system, at, the idea of system being an impediment, I don't think you run into, and maybe we can separate this into, well, it's different when someone hasn't played any games at all versus yes. played. I, I don't think that's an issue. I think really we're, we're talking more about people who played, who, who play role-playing games, getting them to play different ones. I think the issue in, of, of system is rooted in you have some folks who are very familiar with a system and, you know, because of temperament or personality, it's like no one likes to feel stupid. Nobody likes mm. to feel like they don't know what's going on. They don't like to feel confused. You may have oh, plenty, of, especially those of us who are, you know, grownups, our, our time is at a premium. And so the idea of like, well, I've got this known quantity <clears throat> let's call it 5e i know it well i know how to i know how to play it well I, I i understand it so that i can do the things i want to do and i only have just so much time in a week to do it and so you're asking me to learn a new system learn a new system to proficiency so that i can see if i enjoy it and you're asking me to give up time you know the opportunity cost in that is is significant it's i'm going to give up yeah. that which i know well and i know how to play well and i know how to have fun with easily and you're asking me to take a chance uh, and i think that's a that's a big one um, and i i run now i've run into over the the last several years less of an issue of genre or setting and more that and I think it from in my experience, it stemmed from players who feel a sense of mastery over a set of rules. And so they don't want to step outside that because either they like those a whole lot or they, they don't want to deal with what I just said, the, the learning curve. And then I, maybe they're afraid when they get to the other side of the learning curve, they won't like what they're doing. But they do know that if they don't ever try in the first place, they'll stick with the thing they feel like they have mastered and they enjoy. Yeah. And we've mentioned this a bunch of times, you know, there is a reason why plenty of companies who are 
you know, we have a property, we have a cool idea, we want to get it out to people and make a lot of money. Well, let's just do it in a version of 5e because then all those people that are scared or just don't want to, for whatever reason, are quite happy playing 5e, we'll play our game. And there we go. We have an instant audience. Like I said, people don't have to relearn. And then that perpetuates the thing because why do I need to learn another system if I can play science fiction and sci-fi and horror and lots of different versions of fantasy in 5e because 5e does everything. Yeah, my sense is that you've got folks who are you know, individual designers, like people who are working on DMs Guild and you know, they, they, they put stuff there and they hope they're going to make some money. But I mean... Uh, game writers and publishers are, you know, you don't, you don't fall into like, I think I'll be a game designer. You know, like some people, I, I, you know, sometimes, and I don't, this is not a jab at all, not in the least, but like, um, I see in my, in my area, there's this big, like uh, restoration, like housing restoration business. You know, they, like if someone has like a water leak or, or fire damage, they, they come in and they fix all this stuff. And it's like, I can't imagine that someone, when they're a little kid's like, oh, I, I want to work in that. You know what I mean? Like nobody dreams yeah. to do that. So like, how do you get into that kind of a job? I, I don't think anyone like kind of drifts like, oh, hey, I could, I could buy this franchise. I like working with my hands. Okay. This sounds like a cool thing to do. I don't think anyone like stumbles into or falls into role-playing game design. So yeah. there's, there's definitely, I think, a, a part of the foundation of these companies and these designers and writers. It's like, I love this gaming and I love this story. But I mean, let's face it, at the end of the day, they need to keep the lights on. So yeah. publishing something in it that fits with a system that seems to be a, a more of a lock for sales, that makes sense. That, yeah. that makes sense. I do think, unfortunately, that um, you know people... I, this is just human nature, you know. We, when we like something, we we tend to we tend to slowly over time. When especially when there's no challenge to it, we push aside anything else that uh, that would distract from it, you know. So we 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 do this and we focus on it and we we build up habits and norms and then we we unknowingly or maybe knowingly we lock out and push away other things that might sit in the way that might take that that space um and so i think it's you've got the the rational side of it i don't understand these rules uh they seem complicated and then you've got the irrational side to it which is um i i like dnd or i like this game and you're like well might you like something else too and they, you know, then it becomes the like the weird, irrational, like territoriality of like protecting your thing, and like this is my view, and I and I'm going to hold to my view, and we all think our own opinions and assessments of things are better than everyone else's. But I think there's that side. There's certainly that side of it as well. I mean, there definitely is. There will you, you can just imagine there will be people who are even people who don't think D and D is amazing. Like you know, there's flaws in this. I wish it did this differently. I wish it did this. But if you offered. Them. there's another game that does some of the things you want oh well I, I at least i know what i've got you know better the devil you know but it's like you said i mean you know maybe you don't want to spend the time to learn another system so best off doing that so how do we how do you solve that problem well either of these problems then because i think i mean the setting one to me i think is a very very hard solve yeah. if you say to someone i've i've got this i've got this thing and it's set in if it's a world no one's i think that's an easier sell you know, if you say to someone, I've got this setting called Infinity. Well, what's in Infinity? 
you can explain it to that person in a way that you can you know, highlight all the cool bits. Oh, it's it's kind of it's it's set in the future and it but it's like you know it's a bit cyberpunky but it's but oh, there are aliens but there's not loads of them you know but we can do different things you know, we can do corporate espionage or we can do straight up warfare or we can do exploring or we can do crime you know you can explain it in much lots of different ways that then someone says oh well like like you know and it's one of those things you, you throw show some some art or some of the ideas of different characters you get them into the setting yeah. because they don't know it i think that's easier if it's a setting that's no one knows same as how if you were doing you know let's say you were doing a, a D thing you know, you don't have to play in an existing world. I mean, actually trying to play in an existing world is quite hard now because it's not like three, third edition or second edition where they had loads of books for each setting. I yeah. feel like homebrew is the way you have to go now to some extent, or you play through one of or the you're, campaigns. You're, 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 taking the, you're taking the broad brushstrokes and the foundational norms of a world and you're, you're homebrewing your own locations and things like that. And, yeah. You know, I, I think you're... I, I think you're onto something, and you got you. There, there are different approaches you ought to obviously take with different kinds of people. How do you sell it to someone? Selling a, a a setting or a genre, unless you've got someone at your table who is dead set against a certain thing, I think it's an issue of being aware. If you're the GM, being aware and understanding what kinds of things do my players like. What makes, what excites them? What draws them in? What things, like, especially if you've been gaming with a group of people for a while and you get a sense of, you know, sometimes there are things that, that perk someone up, you know, they, they, they pique someone's interest, but then it always peters out. Like the thing that they think they're interested in, but then they, they, they drop pretty quickly. That's just me at everything. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the shiny thing, you know, being aware of, okay, what are, what are the things that really animate and focus my players. Mm. Uh, and, and if you find a setting or a genre, probably in this case more a setting, because you're not just going to say, hey, let's play Western. You don't just stop there. You say, let's play Boot Hill or let's play Deadlands. Like, it's a specific kind. Um, and, yeah, I think, uh, like you said, it, it does help to know your play. Because we tend to, we tend to play like anything that's going to be cool. We want cool characters doing cool stuff. But then we also play Tales from the Loop. You know, we play Tales from the Loop where Scott and Brian played 14-year-olds in Sweden in the yeah. holidays. That was a massive departure, but it wasn't even a sell. It was like, you know, I guess it's a bit weird, kind of Stranger Things-esque. Oh, let's, let's give it a go. Um, you know, that, and like Vampire again was different, but it was like, you know, this, this might be a bit more talky and stealthy and background stuff. Oh, yeah, we'll give that a go. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, they're willing to try everything it would be me and Annie yeah. if i said certain things like do you want to try this but then again they they both of them like a lot of different genre stuff so i can't imagine there being a genre where they would go mm. westerns would be one maybe where they would go well i'm not really bothered about westerns. you know think about this you don't have this problem and well let's just wipe this away before we move to potential solutions you don't have this problem at a game convention okay because you essentially have uh, people choose based on what they see. And so if you show up to a game convention, you're like, oh man, I'm going to run like Steampunk West, Old West, whatever system is, your own or something like that. People either show up to your game or they don't. Uh, and, and they may be really interested in it or curious about, who knows. But by virtue of them showing up at your table, you've already answered, you've, you've solved that problem. Uh, if you decide to, like I've done a few times here at this new game store that opened in my my neighborhood, I just said, "Hey, I'm going to run 
Octane Cthulhu, or I'm going to run Star Trek just just as a um, like an intro thing, just if people were interested and never played it before. And then it's kind of the same thing. People show up or they don't. And if they show up, obviously they show up because they're interested in some piece of it. So you don't yeah. have to sell it to them. I think where this is an issue is when you have an existing group of players that you've been playing with, when you have your group and you as GM want to move to something else and you have to figure out a way to convince them because your players are not eager to do so you're in a fortunate position where you know you've got that i right now have a have a terrific group in that they just enjoy playing like yeah. and they're really straight up about like oh i really don't like this or like this kind of feel like one of my players she's like i don't really i don't like war games like she would not enjoy playing like war board games okay that's fine you know if we're gonna not play an rpg one week and we're gonna play a board game we just won't play a war game that that's fine um but otherwise, when it comes to RPG games, and I mean, rules and settings, they're completely open, but I've not always had this. So the issue is, it, it, it's, it, and, and frankly, I think it's also, chances are these are going to be people who are either your friends or people <laughs> that you just have long-term gaming relationships with, some of whom will be your friends and some of whom will be your gaming friends. That is, people you enjoy gaming with, but you don't have a ton of contact, like don't have a ton of connective tissue relationally with outside of the table. So it's those people you're dealing with that you have to, those are the people who challenge you in, in, in this. So what do you think, how do you convince people to play something that they might be lukewarm or tepid on? How do you sell them? I think that's the thing. I think it is the selling them. It's knowing that what they like and then being able to pick on it. So whether it's whether that is a setting thing or system thing, it's picking out the things that are good about. Because sometimes we've we've had this conversation before that there are settings that you, you're better off playing with a particular system because that you know it came together as one bundle. Like I wouldn't try to play in the alien role playing game now, other than using the alien role playing game. Because it, it's there, it exists, it does the job, and it would yeah. be a huge amount of work to do to use another system now. Um, and then there's other things like, you know, rifts where actually you could, or exalted where, because the systems they're in are so bad, of course you would do it something else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you need to decide wait, what, where is the problem? I think that whichever way you were doing it, I think you need to picture it's like, right, these are the things that excite me. I, I would have said from a GM to a player point of view, if you can make it clear, and this is why Brian and Scott have, have got into the habit of saying yes to pretty much everything. They know that they are better, and I think most players would be realistic like that, or not all. But if, I, if they're not, then screw them. Most players are going to be <laughs> happier playing in a game where the GM is If the GM is happy because the GM is running something they're excited about. So if yeah. you can make it clear to the players why you are excited about what you want to play. Now, whether this is about this system does this really cool thing. Look, I really want to play Gumshoe because it does investigation in a totally different way to everything. And then explain why investigations are cool. This isn't going to be all about combat. This is going to be a totally different game, and that's going to be really exciting. Uh, and then, you know, do the same thing for the setting. Oh, but in this setting, it's really, 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 really good. Um, then I think that's always going to be the best way to convince someone. Because if you can make someone clear, like, look, I'm really excited about doing this. At the end of the day, the GM is the one doing, like, all, yeah, the not even most of the work, like all the work. You know, the players literally just, if you've got players that do more than that, great. But the vast majority of players will rock up and play yeah and that's it they don't you know sometimes they don't even make their characters at home or do anything in between <laughs> you know some people do but a lot of players like they they turn up and you entertain that's what i 
when I see people online saying, you know, like, oh, DMs for money. And I think that's ridiculous. You can't DM for money. And then I think about it a bit more and think, now that makes sense, actually, Maybe because you can, the, yeah. the DM is putting all the all the effort in. Why shouldn't they? I still would never do it because I just, it, it's weird to me. But from a, like a, yeah, why it does that make your sense? your sensibilities as a GM. I think it's because it's something I've always done with friends or with family. I've never chosen to get like you. Well, done like, a yeah, I, I, I agree. The idea of GMing as a transaction, yeah. it, it being it, it transactional rather than relational, aside from cons and those like occasional store games. Yeah, I, this is, I do this with friends. Um, but I can then kind of see actually, and know what, you know, that does make sense. So from, from that point of view, if your GM is going to already the effort of buying the stuff, writing the stuff, reading the stuff, doing all of the work and all the players do is turn up. I would have thought most players would be actually, well, you know, okay, well, yeah, this, this sounds good. Again, you, you said it, you need to know your players. Yeah. So if you have a situation where actually you've just got some randos together and you're going to run a session, um, well, even then you probably said, I'm going to run such and such yeah. and people have come because of that. So it's like you said, it's when you're changing. So if you've been playing with a bunch of people, you hopefully know them enough to, you know, if you've got people that really like role playing, you go, right, we're going to play fourth edition. It's going to be straight up combat every session. I think that's going to be a hard sell. You would need to convince people why fourth edition is yeah. the best way to run the thing you're going to run. So yeah, on the, the flip side, the G, you are as a GM going to have to know your players. You're not going to be able to pitch them something. Unless um, you know which, them well. Yeah, you, you can't just speak to a generic audience because it's not a generic audience. It's these specific people. So that's I think that's the, the, the foundational piece. I think you make a really good point about the GM enthusiasm. And maybe, you know what, too? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you're right. The GM more than likely, the reason why you're the GM, there's many reasons for it, but one of them is like, you do get interested. I know that I get interested in, like I hear something, a setting book or a game, like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And it's always, I'd like to run that, or I'd like to, I'd like to to tell stories or be a part of stories in that, which then translates to, oh, that means I'm going to run it, which means I'm going to buy it. If a GM in in good spirit or in, you know, with good intent says, Hey, I'll do this. I think players, and maybe this is GM to GM perspective advice. Players ought to say, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. If you have, if you're a GM and you have players who refuse to give you the benefit of the doubt and see you as, I mean, honestly, if, if your players see, if if your players have a sense of entitlement or demand, you're going to run this game the way I like it, and there is no reciprocity. Hey, I'd like you to play a game that I'd like to run. If it turns into something like that, you have crappy players. Like you have players yeah. who are being unreasonably demanding of you and refusing to reciprocate. I think you're you're right. You you obviously you've got to you've got to know your players, but I think you also have to as GM. You have to put together a pitch. Yeah. You know, we talk about the elevator pitch, you know, your 30 second, you know, sales pitch. You do have to put together a pitch that addresses explicitly or implicitly why this setting slash system is going to be enjoyable for your specific players. And you, you have to, you've got to sell it to them. You have to explain like, why are we going to, in effect, what you're saying is, why are we going to give up this known that we are enjoying, assuming you're enjoying it? Why are we going to put aside a, an enjoyable known and replace it with an unknown that we may not have, you know, it may not work out. 
And so you have to pitch it to them in ways that lets them know, okay, I'm going to get something out of this. This is going to be enjoyable. Um, when it comes to the system, uh, if you're going to introduce a new system to your players, I would work through looking at it and and streamline, like treat it like if there isn't a beginner box for it. I know I like those. They're very popular nowadays. But if there isn't a beginner box, then you, I think, as GM, in effect, have to come up with streamlined rules. Because if you back up a dump truck and you pour the entire system new on a group of players after you very excitedly as GM have read about this for weeks and you know the system inside and out and then you pour it on your players like so much concrete, they're going to be buried. That's a great way to turn off players from a system yeah. that they actually might enjoy when you throw too much at them at once. I, I would very much go with is in most systems, unless it's a super simple system or that the character creation of the system is like part of the game itself, I would very rarely make let players make their own characters. Very rarely do like occasionally we do. So like when we made vampire characters, because we did it with this kind of um, the way that the, the new version of vampire was set up, you were meant to do this sort of pathway relationship diagram making a character thing. So as we made the characters, we also created the, like a relationship map. So the making the characters created the setting. You know, they had the hand in it by making these characters that came up with the, that it was in Vegas and which houses they were in and who were the other people they knew in the houses. So that was one where, you know, and also I mean, they're, they're fine. They've made characters for you, but that, that worked. Yeah. I have never sat down with Annie and Mika and said, right, you're making your own characters. Yeah. I would never, you know, I never do that. And the vast majority of the time with Scott and Brian, I don't either. We didn't for Conan. I will usually say, you know, give me an elevator pitch for your character. What do you want your character? I want, I want them to be, you know, this, this gender, this race, if it's a fantasy thing or a sci-fi thing. Yeah. I want it to be, you know, I want to be sneaker. I want to be like this. I want this kind of thing. And then I make the characters from there. And then that, because that's what you have in a starter set. One of the, one of the easy things in a starter set is, yes, you have a short version of the rules, but you also have pre-generated characters. Now, one of the problems with starter sets is that you look through all the pre-generated characters and go, well, none of those interest me. And sometimes they're really badly made. Um, so frequently, you know, I will make I will make the characters. I mean, certainly when we played through Strad, Brian did make his characters because he wanted to go away and min max the hell out of Palatine. <laughs> but I made Scott's character and I made the character that was a GMPC. But you know, Brian likes making characters like I do. Scott's just not bothered. He yeah. was like, if you want me to make a character, I will sit down and make a character with you. But I'm quite happy if you just give me a character and I'll just name them. Um, and I think that's that's straight away these things. You can turn up at a table. Here's a character. You maybe you've had a conversation about the backstory. Uh, I mean, I did that with, with Stride. I'd done little backstories, you know, sessions just over WhatsApp with Scott and Brian about their characters. So they knew coming into it a bit about, I did the same with Conan Exiles. I sent them some messages so they knew their character, but I made the characters so that they could just rock up and we could start playing. And then you can go through the rules. Like you said, you can, you don't have to use a start box. You just know that I'm going to drip feed the rules in a nice, easy way. Um, and that's probably the first hole. Cause for a lot of games, character creation can just kill a session. Yeah. Just like, right, we're going to spend, we're going to spend three hours making a character. You as GM, if you're going to introduce a new game, a new system, you have to really know it well. Because yeah. the, you will absolutely, like if you have players who are, who are iffy, on like for example you you decide oh i'm gonna run 2d20 whatever for people for the first time and they've been kind of iffy on it if you screw it up 
<laughs> by flipping through the rule book and and you're like, oh, I don't really know how that works. Uh, you're going to turn that because they're going to be like, look, suspicions confirmed. This sucks or this is not or it, may, it might not suck, but it's not worth my time. So yeah. you need to identify the key elements mechanically of the system and the key elements. If it's a setting, a unique setting, like what are the most interesting? What are the bright spots? Um, of the of the setting itself that I can I can showcase the setting I can showcase the rules you've got to strip that down I agree with you completely on character creation and I think you can take that one of two routes I've done both you can say listen we're gonna let's try this new game you do your elevator pitch you successfully convince them to you get them to yes and um, you say let's not bother with character creation because you know invariably you know how it is you you start a when you learn a system or you start to learn a system. You, if you make a character for it, invariably, two or three sessions in, you wish you had made the character differently because you now start <laughs> to get to know the system. Yeah. So, so I've offered player. I've done this one of two ways. I've done this both ways, rather. You say, listen, tell me what kind of character you want, just like you said. And then you make pregens for them. And you say, we can either play, let's play like a two or three session intro game. And then if we like it, you can remake, we'll, we'll make your own characters and we'll go from there. Or you can, st and, and with the intention of having a limited, like a pilot to a TV show, like run a two or three session, that's it. They, they feel it. They get a sense of like, oh, Eberron, it's got like, you know, flying carrot, flying skiffs and it's stuff like that. Magic, low level magic as technology. Cool. I dig that. Then you have them make their own characters, and then you start running your campaign proper if that's your idea. Or you start off with your campaign proper because you just can't wait. You have to do it. <laughs> your beautiful story idea cannot wait two sessions. And you say, listen, we're going to run for you know two or three sessions with these pregens that, that you, I took on special order from you. And at the end of those two or three sessions, if you want to make your own character, now that you're more familiar with the system, we'll just pretend your character was there from the beginning because you were there from the beginning yeah. or if you kind of like this character yeah, you can it. rebuild it and there you, there you, you go from there but i i absolutely agree don't start right. off with character creation another reason i had that was in a different way when we played we played warhammer age of sigma and for that because i had the starter box stuff i showed them the starter box character, and i wasn't familiar with the system at all but like frequently i'm not because we're like we'll muddle through it and they don't mind and so they picked two of the pre-gens and we played through the starter box mission and we played through another adventure I had. And then we didn't carry on. And actually that was because I hated both their characters. And these were pre-gen, these were starter box pre-gen. I couldn't stand either of them. Both of them were like, just one of them was just, could only do one particularly good thing in combat. And it was always like, I'm just going to do the same attack again. And again, it was really irritating. Um, and Scott had some kind of magic-y type character, but he was, his character would either like, yeah, succeed really hard and wipe out all the enemies or do nothing and be useless. And I was just like, I'm sure there are more interesting characters. Uh, there are, there's just so many more interesting characters you can make. But after they play, they're like, well, we like our characters. I'm just like, but I hate them. I don't. So we kind of just stopped it because I know now if I go, if I want to go back and play Warhammer Age of Sigma, which I would like to at some point, because the system had some really cool bits, I would make their characters because then I can make characters that have some interesting things, but also that aren't, haven't got something stupidly over the top at some point. Because, yeah, when I suggested we carry on, they're like, oh, yeah, we're happy with our characters. <laughs> I was like, no, we are not using those. And that's this, I mean, I've never had that problem particularly, but, I, you know, you hear the story stories online of, you know, people 
turning up with D&D characters they've meant and they're totally within the rules, but they're utterly yeah. awful. I mean, obnoxious. Brian did it in stride. He had a character that was obnoxious, but it didn't bother me because I knew the bits of it were going to be difficult. So the fact he had this guy using a pole arm and sentinel, so anyone walked within a distance, he stopped them. There was ways to play around it. It wasn't utterly, you know, broken and OP. Um, it, it gave their characters a chance in certain situations. So it, it was fine. But I can imagine like in a different kind of scenario, some of the characters made up some, you know, really stupid combination of abilities. Yeah. You'd be like, uh. And so actually, if you do make, you know, then it spoils the system. Anything, you know, because it's the same thing, whether if the players aren't having a good time, that's bad. But also if the GM isn't having a good time. Oh, no. And no one's having a good time. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw this in. This is my my other piece of, my other thought and, or, or piece of advice. That, and this this is a, a tough one. I think this will probably be a tough one for you to swallow. And it is for me as well. Oftentimes when I've wanted to try something new, it's because it was the shiny new thing that drew my eye. I think as GM, if you, if you really want to try something and give it a chance for you as GM to get to know it and maybe your players to get to know it so that you all buy into it and you all put genuine effort into it so you really see, is it, is it really what it can be? And if it is, hey, you all get that great enjoyment out of it. You, and I've, I've done this, I have made this mistake where you get the thing, you get the new book, you're like, oh, I'm so excited. And you know deep inside that you're not ready, but you have to run it anyway. <laughs> you have to, prudence, prudence, yeah. my son. You, you have to, like I said, you've got to know the rules. You have to at least know the core of the rules well enough. And you have to understand the setting enough. Like take the time to read the thing and enjoy it. If you're really, like when I, when Eberron came out, I don't know why, when Eberron came out, it really, my, my ears perked up. It's like, that just sounds different. And I'm not a big, it's not like I don't like steampunk, but I'm not like, you know, one of these people who I have to have goggles on everything. I, at first I thought, oh, this is like steampunk fantasy. And then I started reading about it more. I'm like, well, no, not really, but it, it really is a unique thing. And so I got it. And initially my players were like, oh, that's steampunk. That's stupid. And so I had to, I backed up. And I didn't push and I went back and I read more and I read more and I, I, I extracted the points from it and, and focused on explaining the points from it that I thought they would be interested in most. And then I, um, I spent time making sure that I understood it enough so that in the adventure, the first adventure that I ran, I could like spotlight those Eberron things mm but also show how th this is just you taking the traditional, this trope of D&D and using it in Eberron, but it, it took time to think through that. You can't, um, I mean, again, the proliferation of beginner boxes is handy. So if there yeah. is some system or something that you've never played, oh, this sounds really great. There's so many beginner boxes out there that in in all my experiences, like the Star Trek Adventures beginner box, that is, the little mini campaign in there is perfect. It's so Star Trekian, uh, and it's built off a story from the the Next Generation season one. But you want you you've got to take the time as GM so that you, if you really like this property and this system, you have to do it justice. Otherwise, your players are probably they're not going to get out of it what they could, and they may just want to walk away from it before they get that fair chance, and you get the opportunity to run it well. Yeah, I have. I mean, I have had that few. I think I did it with with City of Mist, where I had the, I had the books and I'd read and I was reasonably familiar. And we had a whole session just making characters. 
because I thought this is going to be like the characters and that was so detailed and so a part of what was going to be happening. You had to, so, you know, we had a session, we made the characters and got a good idea what was going to go on. And then when I sat down to think about like what the adventure is going to be, and I realized actually, no, I didn't understand it enough to carry on. Mm-hmm. And so I just wait, I, I decided then to wait because I knew they, because eventually then I realized they were making a bigger setting book and like a whole book book of adventures. Um, I still haven't ever actually ran it, but rather than forcing it and it being a complete mess, I just went, no, actually, I don't, I don't think I can do this. Um, That was one of those things, you know, we made interesting characters, but now we wouldn't be able to remember them. That's a tough one to swallow. You may like, you really want to do it, but you have to recognize your limitations of knowledge and that, uh, in order to get your players to sink in honest effort. Like this one player in, in particular, this was years ago. Um, I, 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 this is when uh, the, the two Star Trek role-playing games ago, the one that was made by Last Unicorn Games back in the mid-90s was terrible. I bought like everything for it. And, you know, Star Trek, Star Trek. And then the system was just a dog. I remember like 20 years ago convincing him, oh yeah, play, 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 play. And you could tell he just wasn't into it. But I, I think that I made the mistake of not recognizing that he really didn't want to play it. But then also I can kind of point a little bit of finger at him that he was just so unwilling to try anything but what, what he wanted to. But I also know that I didn't know the rules that well. So it was like it was a combination of things. It just, it just didn't work out. Um, but yeah, go slow, know the rules, and recognize that maybe there are some things you just you're not going to be able to do with your current group of people and you may have to find different people. There's some setting that maybe you really, really want because it's your, either it's your, it's your pet setting or it's something that you're really into that just other people are just, we're seriously not bothered about playing this. And in that case, you just kind of have to go, yeah, just like you said, you're going to have to find another group, play online or something because yeah, people might not be that interested. And that is unfortunate, but yeah. Can't f- At the end of the day, you can, you can still only pitch a system to someone. Um, I, I think the system I never think is that, yes, you might have people who don't want to try a system, but it should usually be like, look, at some point you didn't know how, let's just say it's a 5e, at some point you didn't know how to play 5e and you picked that up so you can pick up another system. And now you've picked up 5e, you'll be able to pick up another system. It'll be fine. I don't think that should be too hard. I think if someone doesn't want to switch systems, it's probably just because they're, you know, they're just, they're more afraid to than anything. It shouldn't be that difficult. Um, setting though is, is an issue. If someone really doesn't want to play a set and you really want to, yeah, I'm, and you've really tried to sell it, I think you just have to kind of accept that. Yeah, I, I have a, a gentleman that I've worked with over the last several years. You know, professionally, he says you can get people to do things one of three ways: you can force yeah. them, coerce them, or convince them. And only the last of those three will last and get real buy-in. That's a good endpoint. Deep, huh? Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm going to point your attention to another podcast. Call it a podcast of fellow travelers, I think. It's called Bastard Quest. The GM on that, uh, on that show reached out to me a couple months ago and asked if we would write an adventure that they would run, a 2D20 adventure, that they would run on their show. And so they are preparing to do that, and it looks like that's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. So they are, for the most part, an actual play show that does actual play sessions in one hour blocks. I personally am not that big of a fan of actual play. Theirs is is good. And you pick up a lot about the rules of the games and some commentary. The episodes I've listened to have been a lot of fun. So they're going to run an adventure, a fluff and crunch adventure, 
in a Conan uh, 2D20 role-playing game, and I will update you on the date as to when that's going to be available. Looks like probably the end of November, maybe even Thanksgiving-ish. But if you're interested in a, in a good actual play, give Bastard Quest a listen. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much. <laughs>